This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. And now, Christ and Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. everyone. Thanks for joining the conversation today. I'm Erin Straza and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. Now, we're in the middle of our Never Seen series in which we are considering the way that movies capture and influence our cultural narratives. So for each episode, we will watch some popular film that either one of us or both of us have never seen, and then we're going to hash it out right here on the podcast. So this week's movie is one that we've both not seen, but it's much different from our episode last week in which we discussed Casablanca, which was such a fun conversation. That's right. Last week, we had this brilliant conversation, if I do say so, if I Mm -hmm. may say so, um, about a classic movie that sits in, you know, the golden era of Hollywood. And so we thought this week we would naturally follow it up with a viewing and discussion of the classic that came out 15 years ago, Mean Girls. So different from Casablanca. (laughs) And yet. Important. And yet. So much to say. No. (laughs) Yes. Well, it it is one of those films that I've heard of and for whatever odd reason, never had seen it. And so when we were discussing what's on the list, Hannah, what movies have you not seen? And then we compared it to the list of the movies I've not seen. This was one we both hadn't seen. And and we figured this would be a good one Mm -hmm. for us to watch and dissect because we hear, we we had heard that there was just so much in this that is speaking to our society and culture and and high school drama and all of that. And I would say it really did do all of that. Right. And when we were talking about which movies to watch, I remember having this discussion with Alyssa Wilkinson, who we Mm. had on the first episode, and we dropped the two words, Mean Girls, and Alyssa was like, oh, you have to watch this. She did. She encouraged us. (laughs) um, We took a leap with her. And I have to say, um, even though it was put out 15 years ago, I, I think my exposure to it really has come through social media, through Definitely. memes and all the quotes that everyone else has kept alive. And I'm not sure that if we didn't, if we hadn't had social media, I would have ever thought about it or heard it again, because it, it is a movie that's situated in a pretty specific time, um, you know, and I think it could have gotten lost, except that it makes so much sense for us living in the age that we live in. And I think it's been kept alive through social media. I I think you're right. Now, 
there may be other people out there who have not seen Mean Girls, although it is very popular. There could be some just like us who had never seen it. So let me give a short synopsis. And as I do that, Hannah, feel free to jump in if there are other things that you would like to uh, to stress. So in this film, we have Lindsay Lohan, or Lohan, either way you would like to say it. Um, she plays this high schooler, Katie Heron. And she is moving back to the United States. She's grown up in Africa with her parents there. And she's going to school for the first time. So she was homeschooled. So that has a whole nother angle that we could talk about. But she was homeschooled coming into the public school system. And she is green. She does not know what is going to be presented to her with the different social cliques and how things work in a public school setting. And she encounters this group of girls called the Plastics. These girls are the it the popular group. They are the ones who kind of rule the roost at the new school. And she encounters these girls and they sort of pull her in. But you can tell their intentions are a little bit shaky. Like you aren't quite sure what they're, they're wanting to do there. But the story continues and unfolds. Katie makes some missteps. And then eventually she tries to get on the inside in order to bring them down. And the whole movie is really girls being mean to each other. And it ends with all these life lessons unfolding for them. So that is the gist of the movie. Hannah, is there anything else you want to add to that? Yeah, I. She also does make friends with um, two outliers um, who are yes. actually the first people to reach out to Katie, uh, Janice and Damien, and they um, give her the lay of the land. So when she encounters the plastics, as these mean girls are called, um, she knows who they are, and under um, Janice and Damien's encouragement, she does try to infiltrate their group to subvert them. And then mm-hmm. the real tension of the film is watching who gets subverted. Yes. Who becomes um, more like the plastics. And and that's fascinating because you do see this development of Katie over the course of the film where she's slowly adopting the mannerisms and the values and uh, the traits of these girls that everyone sees as mean girls. Um, but Katie convinces herself that she's still subverting them. Mm-hmm. But there's this real question through the whole film of who's actually being changed. Um, and, you know, it is also set in a context of wealth. So that's one of the other questions involved is um, the mean girls are kind of positioned as spoiled rich girls who have mm-hmm. everything that they could want, the cars, the clothes, the, the plastic credit cards. Um, and so it's a fascinating um, commentary just on teenage life, on high school life, um, and how to navigate that when you when you don't have any exposure to it. I think that part of it is key, is what would it be like for someone to land in the middle of a high school situation like this when they have no context for it whatsoever? And several of the scenes involve these girls saying something to Katie, and she is interpreting it as pretty 
benign conversation when really it means something else. And they're they're basically setting her up and tricking her. And so you see that there's this conniving, this underlayer, um, things that are going on that if you know the social structure, you can navigate it and you get that sense of the red flags like, oh, no, I think that I'm being set up here. But Katie initially has none of this, but she learns pretty quickly and then she starts to dish it out herself. So so this movie is is presenting to us the the social constructs of the high school age and yet there's so much of it that I could relate to. So let's talk about gut reactions. So Hannah, when I watched this movie, I there were several times my jaws just dropping like, "Oh no." Like there were just so many harsh things said and done and it it's sort of like the worst of yourself seeing it on TV where you realize, "Oh my goodness, they're doing this. They're being this mean to each other." Um but even in my shock, I think I still felt like, "Oh, this rings true." Even though the scenes were exaggerated a bit because it's a movie, I think the the tone of it and the the situations that were set up, I felt like, "Oh yeah, that I get that because I was in junior high and high school at some point in my life. And I know, like, either I've been part of it or I've observed it. And so it clicked with me. And I thought that it was pretty solid in terms of giving us that picture of what high school life is like. Yeah, I do think there were plenty of cringeworthy moments. Mm -hmm. Um, More because you know they are completely accurate. Like, if you have lived through uh, the social struggles of not just high school, but like high school with girls. Um, I think women have unique ways that they harm each other. Um, And they often have to do with cutting someone out of the group or embarrassing them within the group. So the group dynamic is a really important part of how women support each other, but also how they harm each other. And so watching it, it was uncomfortable to me at times because I knew it was true. And I had remembered experiencing it. Um, But it was also funny at times precisely because it was true. And it (laughs) it was overblown at points where that was like, yes, that is true and terrible. And the only way I can survive (laughs) it is to make a joke about it. Um, So I, I thought it was a good launching off point, a good way to center the conversation. I can't say I loved it. I think I liked it. Um, but I didn't love it. And I and I don't know if that has to do with the topics or because I just didn't want to relive that part of my life. Right. Which one is it? So the question of is this rewatchable? Well, it has been rewatchable because so many people know this movie inside and out. Like you said, it's all over the Internet. It's in the memes because there were so many lines that... I heard and it's like, oh, that's where that came from. Um, and I'll I'll get some articles hooked up in our show notes. But there are just articles upon articles that say these are the top 20, 30 quotes from Mean Girls that are still being used. And so there there's something very clever and creative about the dialogue that makes it memorable. And I think part of it is because people watch the movie a ton over and over mm-hmm. again, but also because it's applicable, even though it's from a high school situation, like we can apply these quotes to all of life. And I think that's what makes it so popular. Yeah, my, my favorite line, I think, was from Amy Poehler's character where she's a mom of one of the mean girls. And she's like, 
I'm not like a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. And she <laughs> yeah, just, I'm not like them. <laughs> she's trying so hard right, to recover right. her youth. And it's laughable because it, it, it's just ridiculous. And so I think there is a sense where we see the ridiculousness of it. But I don't know that I would rewatch it, honestly. Um, yeah. It, to me, it was like, okay, I saw it. That's good. I understand it. It was fun. Yeah, I thought about a few things, but um, I don't know that it's one that I would go back to. Mm -hmm. This movie is, it's rated PG-13, I believe, right? Yeah, no, PG-13. And like lots of films that are set among high schoolers, there is a ton of trash talking and ridiculous situations and sexual references and sexual joking. And I think that it is all framed up in the the extreme of it, the the silliness of it. And yet we also know that that's not untrue. It's not like this is um, something that they just added in because this isn't how high schoolers are, because we know this is how high schoolers are. And I think even today with social media, we get um, we get real time um, proof and evidence that there's a whole bunch going on in high school that is not good for the heart and soul or the, you know, the the flourishing of high school students into high school or beyond high school. So we know that these things are real. And yet to see it on screen, it's kind of like, oh, no, oh, no, like, that's not good. And so I, I don't know what I would I want to endorse this for everyone to watch? I don't know. I mean, it gives you some good insight into cliques and relationships. And yet I think I don't know if I'd want a 13 year old to watch it because I'm being protective, you yeah. know, as the as an adult person. And yet 13 year olds probably know all of this stuff. Yeah, I've seen it and heard it. I watched Mean Girls with my daughter and she's going on 15. And mm-hmm. there were moments where it's like, ah. I don't know, <laughs> but it wasn't because she hadn't been exposed to that yeah. language or those conversations. It was, I did feel like it was a comedy and mm-hmm. I didn't know if it handled the objectionable elements in a way that mm, situated them correctly um, or whether they were gratuitous. And for, right. for example, I watched eighth grade with my daughter a couple months ago, which is kind of oh. a parallel, painfully mm-hmm. honest kind of analysis of uh, adolescence in set in public school. And I think it actually received an R rating because of language. Oh, okay. Um, and yet I found that the um, quality and the conversations that emerged from eighth grade completely for me as a parent validated watching it with my daughter. Um, mm. even though there was probably more language there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It op- and there were some really tricky c- scenarios that were talked about and they they created conversations for my daughter and I to talk about. And yet um, I was thankful for them, even though they were difficult. I'd rather have her come to me for those conversations sure. than just to be exposed to them in or public school or whatever. So I struggle with ratings on comedies. Yeah. Versus I probably will give a little more breadth to dramas or uh, movies that I feel like they have something worth saying rather than ones that are just poking fun at a situation. 
because they they are purposefully setting them up to be extreme and ridiculous and embellished. And so then it's sort of like, oh, and now it's just so silly. And yet it's handled differently in a drama. So yeah, that makes sense. To right. Me. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I would watch it again, either. Hannah, you mentioned that, like, would you watch it again? I'm not sure. Um, I don't know that I would purposefully go pull it up and watch it again. But I'm glad that I did see it because there were so many things in it in terms of messaging and narratives that I think are important to talk through. Um, There were a lot of things in this film that I think make it stand out and make it something that has that longevity now that it's been 15 years. So there's a lot of good things to discuss in it, which I'm glad we get to do that. Yeah, and one of the things I found interesting that kind of merged it wasn't just the relationships between the students and the teenagers because of course a lot of time is given to that but one of the angles that I thought was pretty relevant still is the question of how are parents and adults to interact with these teenagers that are kind of asserting their independence and their own authority Mm. making decisions for themselves they're existing in kind of this survival of the fittest space and the jungle that is high school and you see the adults around them um somewhat helpless to engage and some of them are making attempts to engage some of them are full out not engaging saying i want you to like me so i'm going to just yes let you do whatever you want to do Uh, you have the role of the teachers the role of the parents and i i thought that was pretty fascinating because i think it tells us about how we perceive parenthood in those years where children are moving into adulthood and they could Mm -hmm. really radically screw up their lives with the choices they're making yeah and and will the parents be more in that adult role and saying this is what's expected and this is what's good for you long term like we're headed in this direction and therefore these things we're going to not only warn you against it but we're going to make sure that you're not doing them and so i think that um that role of, of a parent i do think that that has changed in terms of there's that that picture, like you mentioned, the the hope that you would be the cool mom, like that's that's a thing. And that's more important today than it ever has been, is that you want to be perceived as um, part of the group and, and hanging on to your place in the clique almost. You don't want to be the one who's on the out, even with your, your children's friends. Yes. And I think the other um, angle that I see a lot of now too is the question of how much do you intervene so Mm -hmm. um like i think katie's parents they were there and they were present but she was sink or swim she was figuring out high school by herself and they could get involved and they could have but they were also operating on this almost they were anthropologists i think or maybe Mm -hmm. no environment, some kind of ologist where they were in Africa studying. Um, And so part of what they were doing was just allowing her to go through the process. Um, And yet in the school, you see teachers trying to bridge that gap where they're engaging and creating the mechanisms to handle the conflict. And you have one scene where the Tina Fey character she's she's acting as a teacher um kind of guides a group of girls through conflict resolution um and Mm -hmm. so there's this question of how much do you intervene how much of this is just what has to happen um 
that kids just have to figure it out and how much of it is that they need outside um, adult intervention to help them have healthy relationships. I appreciated how they handled that because not only were the the teachers and the administrators trying to step in to to corral this scenario where everyone is mad at each other um, and and fighting, but I also appreciated that they didn't make it as if the teachers knew exactly what to do. Um, it was sort of like, okay, we got to walk this out and we're going to try a couple things and and try to lead them forward. But I liked that it it wasn't so neat and tidy. Just because you're an adult, that doesn't mean you know exactly how to handle this conflict. And conflict is a big part of this movie. Um, there's the outright conflict and squabbling, and then there's the undercurrent and the conniving that's going on behind the scenes. And so there, there are these different layers of conflict, and I felt like that was one of the the pieces of this film that really stuck out to me. That That's a narrative that I feel like um, this movie does very well, and it is calling attention to because it is a reality of life. We all face this. Um, we all deal with these tensions. And um, and a lot of it, especially in, in cliques and in high school, it's this feeling of wanting to have a place of belonging, but then knowing that there are these social norms that you need to keep in order to stay on the inside. And are you going to keep those norms just so that people are not mad at you and don't ostracize and shun you? So there's this back and forth of you don't want the conflict, but then you're you have internal conflict because you're doing things that you don't really want to do because you're trying to avoid that outer conflict. I thought that spoke volumes. Yeah, and I think there's a reason why it's called mean girls and not mean boys, right? So <laughs> we can't escape Definitely. the fact that it was really focusing in on the female dimensions of conflict and mm-hmm. how male aggression and conflict might be much more external, much more bravado, direct, intentional kind of physicality in their fights, whereas uh, female conflict is much more about subverting each other. It's much more mm-hmm. subtle. It's much more about the social cues, um, about manipulation. And I know I've said this to you before, but I find myself at a complete loss in those spaces. Like, I feel like I'm a bit of a fighter, you know, like, are you a lover <laughs> or a fighter? And I'm a fighter. You bring it. I will fight you as long as it is physical or mental. When it becomes emotional or it becomes social, I will clam up and run away because I have no idea how to win those fights. I really Mm. don't. I would be clueless in a situation that required me to subvert other people or to, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, you know, use social dynamics to create loyalty. I I just couldn't do it. And I do think it's interesting that we kind of use this phrase of mean girls and this concept of the queen bee with her wingman um, as presented by the plastics. We use that as kind of a cultural toque to, to say, hey, this is how it works. And as much as I don't want to fall into gender stereotyping, Mm -hmm. it is how it works. It really is. 
It is. I mean, even just the simple um, list of fashion rules that the plastics gave. I mean, guys don't do that. I mean, they're, the list of the fashion rules, it was we wear pink on Wednesdays. You can only wear a ponytail once a week. You wear jeans or track pants on Fridays only. Um, one Gretchen, uh, Gretchen received hoop earrings from her parents and Regina, the queen bee, said, no, you can't wear hoop earrings. I mean, there are all these things. It's like these are silly rules. Guys would not come up with these things. Right. And so, But if you're the queen bee, how do you get power? You're like, come up with the rules that are arbitrary, but you know you can keep. And then you make sure that everyone else is reminded of the rules. And then if you don't follow the rules, you can't sit with us. Right. And it's so silly, but we do this. And none of this is explicit, right? The joke of the movie is that they actually have the rules written down and we're explicit with them. (laughs) So none of this is explicit in our daily lives, but they exist. And the rules they do. And you know them. And I think it's only, it's gotten worse through social media, especially kind of Instagram, where we are projecting these lives that say, these are the rules. This is how it works. And to be part of the group, this is how we interact socially. This is what we wear. This is what our houses look like. This is how we decorate. This is how we raise our children. And so while the movie makes a joke of the rules and makes them very explicit, um, in life, they're not, but they still exist. They still very much are the boundaries of social inclusiveness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we we want to keep them so that we feel like we have a spot. And yet, if we can step back for them, do these things matter? And what do we do when someone breaks the norm that we think is there? Do we say things like you can't sit with us or whatever the the equivalent might be? Or do we respond with grace and mercy? I mean, there are lots of social norms that that we abide by. And I'm not saying that all social norms are bad. It's not like they're wrong and evil. But I think it's more like, do we uphold them as a means of saying you are in or you are out? And we've decided that what we you just can't be with us. I, I don't know what the proper response is because again, I don't think that all norms are bad. We have them because we live in community and and they do help us in a way of shaping our lives together. Yeah, and I think that um, that focus, that attention on on the social norms and the individual, how do these two things relate? How do you find connectedness and community and yet not lose your individuality also brings up it also brings up a really significant question about how we tell stories and how we see people's choices being shaped and one of the really fascinating things I did find about Mean Girls is it was more a sociological story Um, the characters were developed but they really weren't that layered because the question that was driving the plot was the context. It's high school. It's high school where Mm -hmm. certain people have money, where other people don't. It's high school where certain people follow the rules and other people don't. And so while it says mean girls, while the title focuses your attention on these girls that are rich and spoiled and the plastics as they're called, um, it doesn't give you much backstory about how they became mean other than Mm. they're rich and privileged and spoiled. 
And so and therefore and therefore mean. they become mean. And and you almost see that happening with the central character Katie, where once she was brought into context with them, once she's accepted into this privileged group, she changes. She becomes a mean girl too, uh, in her own way. And so instead of saying the choices to become who you are originate from your internal psyche that we are all just, some of us are good, some of us are kind, some of us are mean, blah, 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 whatever. The movie really put a lot of emphasis on the context and how your treatment in a certain sociological context can drive your decisions and actions. And even kind of showed that in the outliers, that they had been rejected and it led to them being further outliers. So Mm -hmm. when they were rejected, it wasn't because they were doing things that were necessarily setting them apart. But once they were set apart, they drove deeper into that identity and said, fine, I'm going to be the outlier and I'm going to embrace it and I'm going to make my choices in light of that. And so it's interesting to me um, how we decide what is the greater force behind our choices. Is it my internal individual actions, my choices that I make to be who I want to become? Or is it the context we find ourselves in and where we find ourselves in that context? And, and likely there's a tension and there's a, there's a marriage of those two things happening in our choices. But, right, but, right. But this, because this is the thing. It's like, is this... Is it that we are all capable of being a mean girl or are there some girls who they are just mean? And and so I think that's the question. If if we are put into that context, will we basically show and exhibit mean girl behavior because that's the context we've been placed in? And in some ways, there is that sense of like there but for the grace of God, go I, you know, that that idea, like, okay, yeah, I'm capable of it. We all have that capacity for sin. Um, But then what is it that we are also capable of? Do we have agency to say, oh, I don't want to be like that? Can you make that choice of saying, I don't want to be like that? And and in this movie, there is that, um, that progression or that dawning for Katie as, as things get more and more out of control, she is trying to figure out, is this the person I want to be? And so this is her way of detaching then from this context where she has been plopped and she has become the very thing that she didn't like. Right. Yeah. And I thought that was well done where you see her being carried along and then there comes this moment where she has to face herself and her own actions and take ownership of them and then figure out what to do from that point out. And so that was a good, I thought that was truthful and I thought that was redemptive. Mm -hmm. I think so too. This um, idea that there are things that we don't care for in the world and we are on this um, mission to set things straight. That's what initially she was wanting to do was to expose and um, and to reveal that these girls really are terrible, mean girls. And to do that, she comes into their group and infiltrates and and tries to set it up so that she can prove it wrong. And I think that that has something to speak to us as well, is that when we become fixated on 
on people and things that we think are wrong, then it's almost like that idea, that Nietzsche idea of whoever fights the monsters, then you become the monster yourself or whatever. And and I think that that's another aspect of this movie that I think is very prevalent today because of social media. We can go online and trash people and, and cause these upheavals because we say these things are wrong. And yet then... That is very unlovely behavior. That's not very becoming. And so I think that we have the tendency today to perpetuate some of that because we have access and the ability to uh, proclaim our outrage of things that we think are terrible. Yeah. And I think even as you said, as we're trying to resist and subvert manipulative structures, we can become manipulative ourselves. Yeah. Shame and control. even if it's for a quote unquote good reason, are not good. Mm-hmm. Are not good. Mm-hmm. You, you cannot right. control people toward goodness. You have to um, inspire them and lead them toward that goodness. And and I think that is something that still exists, especially in social media. And that, that's why this movie does still exist in the public consciousness. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a movie itself, it's it's fun. It's it says some important things, but I think what has caused it to retain its um, interest for people is because it does get to some very human things. Um, yes. And, yep. and our context still, like like we all are still in high school. We really are. Oh, my goodness. This is the thing. Like you thought you left this behind when you left junior high and high school. And yet because of social media, we get to just keep on with it. Yeah, and- <laughs> And the funny thing is we will never know if generations before social media continued on in high school or actually matured or if there's this artificial context that we live in now that perpetuates the drama. Right. Yeah, we have no idea. We we will be (laughs) ignorant. Well, I would love to hear what all of our listeners are thinking about this, but I think for for now we've we've hashed this thing out enough and that should be good for today's episode. But listeners, we will be back next week with another film, another conversation. Until then, uh, we want to make sure that if you haven't listened to the first two episodes in the Never Seen series, we will get those linked up in the show notes. You want to catch the the kickoff with Alyssa Wilkinson That one was titled Behind the Silver Screen. And then our first movie we looked at was Casablanca. And that episode is titled Here's Looking at You, Casablanca. And we would love to have all of you join the conversation. And so, Hannah, do we have a question of the day? We do. Um, One of the central ideas in Mean Girls is that you adopt certain trends or fashions in order to be part of the group. So on Wednesdays, we wear pink. Um, So the question of the day is, looking back to your high school days, what fashion or trend did you adopt, not because you liked it, but because you knew adopting it would make you part of the group? And perhaps you look back and regret that choice. <laughs> Again, the, I have a lot of those. The question of the day, <laughs> what fashion or trend did you adopt because the group was adopting it, but maybe you didn't personally like it, but you knew that adopting it would help you uh, socially? You can come on out to find us at 
Persuasion CIPC on Twitter. Um, answer the question of the day there. You can find us on Instagram. Um, answer the question there. And if you are part of the Christ and Pop Culture Members Forum on Facebook, sh- be sure to jump on the thread there and tell us about your regrettable fashion choice that maybe for a time gave you access to the group, but now um, would alienate you from it. We want to also say thanks to Jonathan Clausen. He produces Persuasion and all the other shows in the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. You can listen to them at ChristandPopCulture.com. You can go to iTunes and search for Christ and Pop Culture, and all those shows will pop up for you there. While you're at iTunes, we would love your ratings and reviews. It helps us to appear in other people's searches so more people can find us. We do thank all of you for listening to Persuasion and joining us, and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at ChristandPopCulture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.